Coming up on the Money Beat podcast. All right, folks, you've had a few days to digest what was for many of you a surprising election. Not for everybody. One of those folks who was not particularly surprised, David Kelly from J.P. Morgan Funds. And he joins us with his thoughts on what the new administration will do with fiscal stimulus, with tax cuts, what it means for the Fed and what it means for the economy. And, of course, what it means for the stock market. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Welcome to the Money Beat podcast. Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser here in the studio. Uh, our first full week post-presidential election for the markets. We had the uh, the, the short, you know, post-election markets last week, the big rally. This is our first full week. Uh, let's talk about what we can expect in the markets. We are joined by our dear friend Chris Dietrich. Chris, how are you? I am well, studio. thank you. And on the phone, we are happy to have with us today, David Kelly. Uh, you might know him. He's a chief global strategist, J.P. Morgan Funds, writes uh, basically a, a weekly note that, that I think we're all on the distribution list. David, how are you? Very glad to be here. Uh, thanks for calling in. Thanks for sure. coming in today. Uh, look, let's let's start with you, David. One of the things I thought was interesting about your note is is that you were not particularly surprised that Donald Trump won the election on Tuesday. No, I, th- I think people overestimate, uh, um, the, you know, the, their certainty about things. And what happens is, you know, if somebody says, oh, well, it's about 60-40 that something's going to happen. And if another nine people say the same thing, then suddenly people think, well, it's a 95% shot. It wasn't. It was, it was always very close. Um, the, the tracking polls were very close. Uh, we didn't know how uh, individual states were breaking in the last uh, week or two. That could have been important. Uh, and we didn't really know, you know, polling has become more difficult anyway because of the ubiquitous nature of cell phones uh, and also people's willingness to uh, actually answer polls at all. So there's a lot of uncertainty out there, and it was a very close election. So, y- yes, I was with everybody else in thinking that the polls on average suggested that Hillary Clinton would win, but I, I thought it was a pretty close shot, and I, I certainly wasn't shocked that Donald Trump won. And you also have to look at it from this in the standpoint, too, of turnout. I mean, you know, I think this goes back, you know, the last several elections we've seen. It really comes down to turnout mm-hmm. and, you know, deciding the election. The bigger the turnout, the greater the chances are of the Democrats winning, typically. Yeah. And the turnout was not particularly great o- no. overall. I mean, overall, you know, the total electorate that went out and actually cast a vote. No, they, it, it, is, it, is, it is rather shocking that, that if you look at the total number of people who voted for Donald Trump, the total number of people who voted for Hillary Clinton, and the total number of people who either didn't register or didn't vote, that right. third group is the biggest group. Yeah. Right, right. So, you know, that's something maybe for the, the politics podcast yeah. to discuss. Uh, it is interesting. But, but well, I was just going to say, one yeah. of the things that struck me as I was reading your note this weekend, I got it on, you know, Sunday, was just the, the fact that we've... We've seen the markets just get really excited about fiscal stimulus and deregulation and all of these other sort of issues that they're expecting to come, you know, now that the Republicans hold, you know, the presidency, the Senate and Congress. But you're throwing a little bit of caution onto onto this, uh, the markets (laughs) rally here. Yeah, I mean, I have no problem with the market's reaction to deregulation. That probably is market positive. But what I really do have a problem with is a big dose of fiscal stimulus in an economy which is already at full employment and a budget which is already seriously out of balance. It's the wrong time in terms of the budget, and it's certainly the wrong time in terms of economics. Well, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned because uh, 
one of the things I thought about when you talk about the economy being at full employment was that Donald Trump himself would say time and time again that that full employment figure is a mirage, it's fictitious, it's made up by the guy, you know, not a trustworthy number. Whether you agree with them or not, I, I, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, David, but I mean, you know, if you're looking at this from Donald Trump's point of view, at least ostensibly by what he said publicly, you know, this is not really an economy that is at full employment. Well, I think that that viewpoint has been sold to the American public by various people on both the left and the right. But I spent a lot of time looking at U.S. employment numbers over many different surveys and different ways of looking at it. And, you know, relative to history, relative to the last 50 years, the unemployment rate today is lower than it's been 77 percent of the time over the last 50 years. But what's to me is what's really telling is the unemployment rate among people who've been unemployed for less than five weeks, who are really the most employable people, mm -hmm. that is lower than it's been 98% of the time in the last 50 years. There mm -hmm. are some people who are long-term unemployed, but they're actually very hard to employ in this economy. So there isn't a lot of very employable labor available uh, at this stage. So that's why I say we're basically at full employment. And so, you know, in other words, it's this, it's this idea that it sounds like you think has been sold to the American people, that, that the fiscal stimulus, that ostensibly a trillion dollars is going gonna, is gonna to somehow boost aggregate demand, just, is, just simply isn't going to happen. It can't materialize because we are, are already there in many well, respects. Yeah, I mean, it can boost demand, but if you cannot boost supply, if you don't have more available workers, then that tends to push up the price of everything. So you tend, you'll get a little bit more GDP growth in the short run, but you'll also get more inflation and higher interest rates. And I think that's what happens if you put aggregate demand into an economy which really doesn't have much more to supply. And talk to me a little bit, uh, you know, about the the concern you the concerns you have with the budget yeah. and fiscal stimulus. Well, I, we had a big uh, big budget deficit back in 2009, largely the result of the previous set of tax cuts, but also particularly the big uh, fall off in the in the economy in the in the um, in the Great Recession that we had. Uh, but the budget deficit had come down to about two and a half percent of GDP, so we're getting back in the right direction. Now it's gone up to 3.2 percent of GDP. But the important thing is that because of the aging of the baby boom. You know, the deficit was going to edge up and the debt was going to rise as a share of the economy anyway over the next 10 years. And uh, there are various studies of the impact of the full tax cuts, which is mostly what this is about, right. the, the tax cuts on the budget, which suggests that, bud that the federal debt as a share of GDP could rise to 105% of GDP by 2026 if the, the full plans that Donald Trump outlined were, were actually implemented. Now, that 105% of GDP is as high as it's been at any time since, I think it was the late 1940s, uh, just after World War II, after paying for that war. Um, but also, you know, if you think about the interest rates we've normally paid to, to finance that, on average over the last 50 years has been about, or before the, in the 50 years before the financial crisis, about 5.6%. If, if you paid 5.6% on something that's 105% of GDP, you're going to go bankrupt. I mean, it's, it, this is, we are already very heavily in debt. And to be adding on significant debt in an economy that's already at full employment, in a budget that's already in trouble, I think is, is really just not a good idea. It's not a left-wing, right-wing thing. It's simply not a good idea in terms of economics. No, and you look at it, too, because you, you, you sort of bring up the idea that people have sort of grown complacent a little bit with the debt because yeah. interest rates have been so low for so long now. Mm -hmm. And that <laughs> just a little bump up, getting back to the point you just made, really will actually – increase the cost. Well, yes, and, and the, you're sort of in, in triple jeopardy here. Yeah. Um, first of all, you increase the amount of debt, so that would increase your interest costs. 
Second of all, if you produce more economic growth, and particularly if you push, cause more inflation, because, again, you're trying to demand something from the economy that it cannot supply, if you cause more inflation, that pushes long-term interest rates up. And then one other thing, that, you know, right now the Federal Reserve has been buying a lot of bonds from the, from the government over the last few years. They actually pay the interest back to the government. It's kind of a good deal. <laughs> but as the Federal Reserve raises interest rates, the amount that they send back to the government is going to go down also. Mm-hmm. So it could end up being a very significant and fast increase in interest costs for the federal government um, if you proceed with this plan. So how do you think that – because this is, you know, I mean, one of the cornerstones of, of Trump's candidacy was, was you know – boosting the economy and a main thing was it was going to be fiscal stimulus. How do you think this lands in, in Congress? I mean, it's kind of an interesting Congress now because especially in regards to fiscal stimulus on its own. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, I don't want to cold, throw cold water on all of it. I think a corporate tax cut actually does make sense because if you have a corporate tax cut, you could increase investment spending in the United States, which actually could increase our productivity and give us a little more room to maneuver. So I think that part's probably okay um, unfortunately, I just worry that, you know, I think the populists are uh, on the march in America, and I think the fiscal conservatives are in retreat. And I just worry that Congress may acquiesce to a very popular set of broad tax cuts and broad infrastructure spending increases right now, even though deep down they know there's something wrong with this. But I just worry that they may acquiesce because there's such a loud call for more fiscal stimulus. And I think people have forgotten uh, the inflation threat and the debt service threat that comes along with that. Yeah, let's. Uh, that's a good place to take a break. We will come back right after this message with David Kelly from J.P. Morgan Funds. Top stories without the noise. Make sure to check what's news from the Wall Street Journal several times a day. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Welcome back to the Money Beat podcast on this money, money, on this money, on this Monday from New York City. Paul and Stephen, Chris Diederich and David Kelly from J.P. Morgan Funds here talking about the election, the markets, where it all goes. And if you want more on the election, on the market and on where it all goes, you can follow us at WSJ.com slash podcasts. We've got a lot to offer you over there. We've got Your Money Matters, the free for all, speakeasy. Tech News Briefing, WSJ Opinion, heard on the street, and, of course, the Money Beat Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter. We are at WSJ Podcasts, and you can become a subscriber. So this all comes to you automatically. You don't even have to go looking for it. It comes right into you uh, on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and your Google Play Music app. And and Stephen Grosser is is indicating to me, well, I just couldn't to... even couldn't even wait through through the break. <laughs> You're just so excited about it. Well, I just want to build on on, on sort of the, you know what you were just discussing, uh, David, before the break. You look, I mean, populism undoubtedly is on the march across much of the you know the globe and developed world. But one of the things that's sort of interesting is where this falls into this Congress, because you have the traditional Republicans, which have been small government, and the Tea Party, which has really even built smaller government, even smaller <laughs> government. Trump isn't either of those. I mean, he's not traditional Republican in that in the small government way. I mean, who's are the, is Congress going to sort of you know acquiesce to what he wants, or is he going to end up? You know, sort of giving up on you know the big the big things he pushed during the election. Well, I, th- I think it should be a mixed picture. I think there are certain things that he pushed. For example, a much more aggressive approach towards trade, um, or indeed a much more aggressive approach towards immigration, 
in both of those areas, I think he really will back off because you know actually picking a trade war, you know, starting a trade war with China or Mexico or Canada uh, could really cause serious economic problems with not much return for anybody. Nobody gets a benefit out of mm-hmm. that. And equally in immigration, I, I suspect that for various social reasons, he will go much more gently on that than he has said. I think he'll build his wall right enough, and that'll be a tangible sign of his commitment to immigration reform but a, or, or a tougher stance. But I think in practice, he'll be, go more easily. But, but that leaves us with the easier things. So the problem about tax cuts is it's always very easy. You know, you can always say, well, we're going to cut taxes for everybody. And somebody points out, well, you know, but can we afford it all? And then you say, well, no, we're going to get great economic growth out of it. It's going to pay for it all. It's just we come out of buoyancy. It's a very easy sell. And what I'm afraid of is the people who, have so, who, have, who were very careful with their numbers um, over this long election campaign, um, they got nowhere. Um, so the public uh, obviously is impatient uh, with, with people who, who try to add up the cost of things. And, you know, I think politicians sometimes are, are, are men and women of principle, but often they give people what they want. And what the people clearly want are, you know, more infrastructure spending, tax cuts, and we worry about the bills later. Does it seem, as you look at the market reaction over the past week, like, you know, the backup in yields as well as, you know, Stocks like Martin Marietta, these infrastructure stocks also soaring. It seems like the market um, is also taking for granted that the economic growth will certainly arrive at the same time as the inflation. I mean, is it, is it sort of a something has to give in the markets? Or, or how do you see you know, the scenario that you painted playing out given the extreme moves we've seen over the past week? Well, there is some logic in the way the market's behaving. I mean, the, the big backup we've seen in long-term interest rates absolutely makes sense. If you push aggregate demand into an economy which has no more to supply, you will get higher inflation and interest rates. If the government borrows more money, you should end up with higher interest rates. So I think that much is right. Um, and it also makes sense for defense stocks to go up if part of the spending plan is to relax the sequester cuts on defense, which are not very popular uh, with re- Republican members of Congress. So I think that much is right. I do think that in general, stock market investors ought to be just a little bit more cautious here because there should be some increased uncertainty risk premium. I do think that in the short run, U.S. equities might do better, but I, I'm you know, concerned about you know, how is the Federal Reserve eventually going to react to higher inflation. And if they push up interest rates a lot and if the economy is out over its skis and growing too fast, will there be suddenly a, a, a sudden slide in activity you know, a year or 18 months down the road uh, as we just get overheated. So I think there is an additional risk out there, which is perhaps not being reflected in the market yet, um, but I suppose it will be reflected eventually. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny. We talk about um, populism and, and, you know, this is a populist revolt and that kind of stuff. I just remember looking on Wednesday, the day after the election, and I want to get your take on this, Dave, obviously, you know, mm-hmm. I remember, you know, we we're all writing and, and scribbling furiously trying to keep up with it. I remember at one point looking up at the, the my, my charts and seeing the Dow up 255 points. And I thought to myself, oh, Wall Street realizes this isn't really a populist revolt. I mean, mm-hmm. especially they, they looked at the results in Congress. They saw what the makeup is going to be. You, you look at Donald Trump's promises and what he'll probably do. And, and I wonder, you know, has corporate America already sniffed out that this is less about a populist revolt? Because the stock market certainly is not reflecting a populist revolt and more about, you know, an actual sort of typical Republican platform. I mean, tax cuts, sure, some stimulus growth. Um, but deregulation. Deregulation. I mean, most of the things that they've wanted for most well, of the time. Yeah, you know, I think it, it, this may just be an issue of semantics, but 
Um, you know, I, I don't think it's a left-wing populist revolt, but it is a populist yeah. revolt. Um, and I think that I think the difference is important. If this were if this were Bernie Sanders having been elected president of the United States with a promise to increase the minimum wage everywhere and mm-hmm. uh, increase taxes on, on um, corporations and upper income individuals, I think you'd see a different result. But this is a populist revolt of certainly of uh, poor Americans, but Americans who felt that government was too intrusive. There's a strong evangelical component to this. Um, there there is a, a strong anti-immigrant component to this. Um, but the uh, but the revolt itself is 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 not something that is is going to necessarily mean higher taxes on rich, rich people or corporations. And in fact, in many ways, by electing a, Demo- a Republican Congress, you know, House, Senate, and President, um, in fact, the people have given the Republican Party a, a almost a clean slate to implement the policies that they've been trying to implement for, for many years. Right. Yeah. I I, I agree with that. <laughs> Are there other issues with that, David? I'm curious as as you you know and your team have had been discussing that this 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 week, mm-hmm. um, and you look at market moves, some of which can be you know explained pretty pretty rationally, others perhaps not. Are there were there what were the surprises to you in terms of market moves that that I mean for many it was almost everything was a surprise, but if you look at things like biotech, it's like okay I can get that if there's not going to be price caps, you know Zoom those go higher. Were there asset classes or particular pockets that, that were a little bit befuddling to you and your team? Uh, well, I think, the, I think the issue that we're struggling with right now is the dollar, uh, because you could certainly make an argument that stronger growth and higher U.S. interest rates ought to push the dollar up. But mm-hmm. if you have this increase in demand in the economy without any increase in supply, you could actually end up with a worse trade deficit. I think you probably will. Uh, certainly a bigger budget deficit is a negative for the dollar in the long run. I think if we use up our capacity to grow right now, you know, we're sort of stealing from the future, and, and in the future the U.S. economy may actually be slower if it's faster today. Um, so all of those things may, might be a little bit dollar negative. And so what we're trying to figure out is, you know, is this dollar rally going to continue here or is it going to turn? And depending on that, what does that mean for emerging markets? Because emerging markets can benefit from stronger demand from the United States and other developed countries because of this, this populism leading to, to tax cuts and more consumer spending. Um, but they are hurt by a rising dollar. And so I think, you know, it's, we're not particularly surprised by any of it to, to some extent. It's, you know, we, we expect to be, be surprised. We expect it to be an uncertain environment. But the thing we're really grappling with here is, in the long run, does this push the dollar higher or push the dollar lower? And what does that mean for investing in emerging markets? Right. You know, another question between the dollar just popped into my head. Um, what do you think this all means for the Federal Reserve? I mean, Donald Trump has been pretty antagonistic towards the Fed. Now he is going to be the president. Uh, I know he doesn't, you know, how much he can put his thumb down on the Fed is, is certainly going to be of interest yep. to people. I mean, what do you think this means for the Fed? Well, first of all, uh, we'll, we'll get back to what Donald Trump might do or not do or say or not say. But with regard to Janet Yellen and the Federal Reserve, I think mm-hmm. they were intending to raise rates in December, provided the election did not hurt the markets. The election has not hurt the markets, and I think that they will go forward and, and raise rates in December. If they see if a strong fiscal package comes out of Congress early next year, and it looks like there's going to be a big fiscal stimulus, then I think they will at least do the two rate hikes next year and possibly more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as for, um, you know, I, I think there are two other questions. One is, 
um, you know, will, will Janet Yellen stay on? I think she probably wants to stay on. And actually, I don't think Donald Trump would be uh, adverse to that, because it's one thing to criticize somebody for being too dovish when that's helping your opponent. But if he needs to finance a big fiscal package with low interest rates here, I, I think you'd rather like to have a dovish Fed, and you, you will not find any more dovish Fed chair than Janet Yellen. Um, so he, he may actually like a dovish policy going forward. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I do worry about is, and I, th- I hope he's careful about this, is he must not make any comment on monetary policy now that he's president. If he uh, offers very strong opinions on whatever the Federal Reserve does in December, that could be quite damaging to the independence of the Federal Reserve, its perceived independence. And that is really a cornerstone uh, of American financial stability. So I I just hope that, you know, I understand an election campaign, that's one thing, having an opinion on monetary policy. But there's a longstanding tradition that uh, U.S. presidents do not comment on monetary policy, and I'm hoping that he does not comment on what the Federal Reserve does in December or next year. What, what's interesting is, in, in some ways, the Federal Reserve has been asking for Congress to step in with fiscal stimulus for right. years. Whether yes. now is the wrong turn is obviously mm-hmm. the debate we've been having. But I do think it's not just Donald Trump in commenting on you know, the Federal Reserve monetary policy, but rather also what is Congress going to do in regards to, you know, the Federal Reserve and the uh, the politicization of the, you yeah. know, the Federal Reserve. I mean, there's been a lot of clamoring, especially on, on the Republican side, for changing how the rate setting um, is done by the Fed. Well, yes, but again, the shoe is on the, uh, the other foot right now. Right. Because I think a lot of people had felt that, and I don't agree with this because I don't actually think that all these low interest rates were helping the economy. <laughs> but a lot of people felt that, that the economy, that, the, that somehow the economy or the, the, uh, under President Obama was getting unfair help uh, or unwise help right, from right. very easy monetary policy. But in a new environment, if the, uh, you know, if the biggest worry of the administration going forward is that interest rates might rise too quickly because of its aggressive spending plans or tax cut plans, um, you know, I doubt if they'll be quite so loud in saying we need a more hawkish Federal Reserve. David Kelly, I want to thank you for coming in, for spending some time with us on the phone today. Sure, I'm very happy to. Uh, no, it was very, uh, very illuminating. It really was good to get your thoughts on it. David Kelly is the chief global strategist at J.P. Morgan Funds. Thanks for coming in today, David. And everybody else, stay tuned. You'll hear from us very soon. I don't know exactly when, but you'll hear from us. <laughs> very soon again because we love coming on we love talking with you not at you with you so everyone talk to you soon got an amazon echo or an amazon tap listen to the wall street journal as part of your flash briefing wsj podcast listen ambitiously